In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me this evening. The first part of the show, I'm going to do an intro of what will be covered today because my guest is not going to be available for probably about four or five minutes. What we're going to be covering, and my guest will be Dr. Neil Cannon, are what are the current things that we are seeing in um, online media, in articles, the things that are making, you know, things that are the stories concerning sexual health. And one of the things, for myself, being a member of the Leadership Council, University of Minnesota, Minnesota um, School, uh, the, the School of Medicine, one of the things that I am aware of are the different areas of research that need to be studied more to help different types of different audiences and different groups of people who have different needs in sexual health from the standard, you know, people who have had all the studies done for them, the people who are straight, the people, and here's the deal, let me tell you something. When it comes to studies with drugs, a lot of times they are only on men because any woman who can get pregnant, so in other words, if you're between the ages of 13 and 50, you are ruled out of a study in the event of any type of um, impact on a fetus that a drug may have. So really, less than 50% of the population actually has a drug tested for it, which is also one of the reasons why when women are being put onto medications, they may not have been part of a drug trial. The reason I'm aware of this is my identical twin sister is an auditor for clinical research trials. And when she first started doing her, when she first started doing the the work in it, she was like shocked at how many of them automatically ruled out women of being part of the test subject. Part of that came as a result of the uh, nausea medication in the 60s that caused the limb um, uh, problems 
anyways, so what we're going to look at is, as an example, one of the things that struck me, given that on the Leadership Council of Minnesota, we are looking at the study of what is happening for transgender and for bisexual, gay, and lesbian patients and clients, and what are the things that are being done for them? What did we have happen this past week? But we had two gay uh, gentlemen become prom king and queen, prom queen and king, I should say, at one school, and then in another, the, there was a transgender uh, named, goes by Andrew, but actually in her persona is Andy, was the transgender queen, was the transgender prom queen. And to me, what I looked at is they get voted on by their, their own student body, is how much more accepting and aware the generation graduating and who is in college right now are on this. And for those of us in the area of sexual health and those of us in the area of education, to have people that have an openness and an understanding and have the relatability of real people, that's crucially important. For the people I know who are in gender transition, who it's literally like, you know, their body does not match up with how they personally identify, I see so often that it's like they're having to deal with the, the, the social adjustment for themselves, but also there's many other ways that, I mean, every person who knows them then has to change. My guest tonight, uh, Neil Cannon, is not only he has a doctorate in human sexuality, but he also has a master's in public health, and then he has a postgraduate certification in marriage family therapy and a postgraduate um, certification in GLBT family systems. And he has a private practice in Colorado. And when we were speaking on setting up the show, it was like we can cover so many different ways that we can talk about, you know, what are the best things one can do, what are the toughest clients, what have been your best possible solutions. And he kind of has like a very broad umbrella of ways to help a huge range of clients, which to me is, that is truly a gift because often in areas of sexuality, people are so specialized, if someone comes to them, they don't have a strong enough basis or they don't feel comfortable enough discussing or trying to guide their clients. Now, I see that, I believe Neil is on. Is Neil on now, Anna? He was there. I see that he was there, but not now. Okay. Yep. Neil, are you there? I am. I, I think I messed up. Can I get you to call that landline number for me again? Sure. I'll have, I'll have Anna do that again. And then I will have my guest, Neil Cannon, come back on again. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Not a problem. We, um, these little technical difficulties have them occasionally. But what I'm excited about for this is we've had, you know, and also in Nepal, they just have expanded in their census that they now have a third group that these people are 
They are the transsexuals, they are the transgender, who they are now able to put on their senses that this is who they are and that's how they identify. Now, this is a country where I believe it was not until three years ago was any type of gay expression even considered legal. So come ahead in leaps and bounds. Not that there hasn't been some opposition to it, but Neil, are you on now? I am on. Hi, how are you doing? I am well. Thank you for being with me this evening. <laughs> I'm so glad to be with you. It's an honor. Well, so I was describing to the listening audience that one of the things you and I had spoken about before is talking of the things in the current media and their impacts in the area of sexuality and sexual health. And the thing that I'm seeing, you know, coming from Eli Coleman, coming from other members on uh, Randy Etner, other members on the Leadership Council, particularly the gay students being chosen as prom queen and king, the transgender student being chosen as prom queen, and what a powerful message that sends to people of, listen, this is something that is part of what is, you know, a sexual, you know, world and a sexually healthy world. We're making progress. Sometimes it feels like it's in small steps, but we do make progress as a culture. We slide back in some other areas, but we are progressing. Well, and for me, what I like is I love when people show something with heart of someone who is not... Um, they may not understand it themselves, but it's someone who's their friend. It's someone who, this is, you know, my daughter. And I know that you have, and we had spoken, I had gone to the, the DomCom LA, which happens to be the shorter for the uh, professional dominatrixes, had a conference two weeks ago here in Los Angeles. And you and I, Neil, were emailing back and forth on what are some of the things that have come out of studies? Because you have had, you know, you have a, you know, a, a broad awareness of the BDSM world, the bondage dominant sadomasochism world. What are some, you did a study and you're doing a presentation study. Now, who are you doing it with? Well, we have we have a we have an entire team. We have a study right now that was originally it was kicked off by Dr. David Mirich, who's a psychologist in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he went, spent a, a tremendous amount of money, time, resources, energy, and collected data on over 200 people that were self-described practitioners of BDSM, bondage mm-hmm. and dominance, and um, sadomasochism, and which is so such a scary sounding term, by the way, to people that aren't in quote the scene. And, mm-hmm. and when we actually drill down to what it really looks like, it's not quite so scary, but just to stick with the study for a minute. So he collected the data, and then he turned the data over to me as secondary data in order to do the analysis. And what we found was that there was no difference in psychopathology as a group, so mental illness as a group, between people that were self-described BDSM practitioners versus people that were in the general population. All the same. Okay, now that is that is something that and and here's the thing as you say, you know, BDSM sounds scary for people who may not be in it. For some people, we have one minute to the break. For some people, BDSM may be um that they wear leather. It may be that they, you know, do a different fantasy, they do something else, or maybe that they prefer one little thing, but it isn't 
and we're, we're going to, you know, we, I think we've got 30 seconds until our break. But, Neil, I want you to describe four people as a, you know, as a therapist, as a Ph.D. in, you know, the doctorate in human sexuality, what BDSM could look like on a day-to-day basis for a normal person walking down the street. In the next 10 seconds? <laughs> no, no, we're going to do that in 15 seconds. But, um, and I, I did give people a description of what your degrees were and your background and your, your CV, so they are up to speed of you know, who you are and what you are. And then when we come back, we're going to tunes right now, then I'll have you describe each of them. Okay. Please stay with us. Thank you. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millat, at 11, 10 Central on Toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I, invest in yourself. P, persist by taking small steps. And S, serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette. On toginet.com. Parents, if you feel overloaded, overworked, underappreciated, and seriously stressed out, the Parents Plate is here to help you. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. It's time to build stronger families through parent empowerment. And that's what the Parents Plate does. The Parents Plate understands the busyness of life and balancing child rearing and other commitments. Brenda Nixon will be talking to noted experts and authors on all issues, from teething to teen driving. Brenda Nixon is a nationally recognized speaker to parents and child care professionals and author of the award-winning The Birth to Five book. From Fox 4 in Kansas City to schools and synagogues to businesses to bookstores, conferences to churches, audiences rave that Brenda engages, educates, and encourages. For more information on Brenda and her books, check out her website, brendanixon.com. The Parents Plate is loaded with information and affirmation. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Neil Cannon. He has a private practice in Colorado. And, Neil, before the break, we were speaking of 
the definition of BDSM. And because I think what many people don't realize is how much more common the type of behaviors that might be under that umbrella are and that it isn't something that um, as people, you know, have look weird, it is something that is a more expanded type of play that people are doing more so now. Well, 11% to to 14%, 11% of women and 14% of men reported in one of the largest studies on this topic that they've participated in some form of BDSM activity. So Mm -hmm. to your point, yeah, there's a great deal of prevalence, a lot of activity. Now, how did they define BDSM? Did they self-define or were they given a thing of, did you do this, this, or this? It was a self-defined, do you participate in? Okay. And then there was okay. another study that was not too long ago, and it was really large. This was actually an Australian study, but they queried men on their level of satisfaction with their life. And then one of the things they looked at was whether or not they participated in bondage. And they found that the men who participated in bondage in Australia <laughs> had a higher satisfaction with their general life than did the non-participants in bondage. Now, isn't that interesting, given that, and I'm just, let's, not that we want to make blanket statements, but I might hear, being Canadian, I have a pretty, I grew up with a pretty good awareness of what Australian men are like, and they tend to be a little more macho than the standard North American male. Hmm. So, that is interesting to me. Yeah. Now, did, did they... Oh, did they like the bondage themselves, or did they like to do bondage for someone else? They didn't specify whether it was to be bound or to bound, but I'm envisioning, you know, put another bound girl on the Barbie kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I, I mean, that's something. Now, that is a fascinating number. Now, let me ask you this next question. For you treat couples coming from, like we would refer to as a vanilla world, that is, you know, the standard heterosexual types of sexual behavior and relationship issues. And you also deal with people in a kink world, which mm-hmm. BDSM, would, many people would refer to as being in kink. Are the relationship issues coming forward that you see for a couple who is into kink the same type of relationship issues that come with a vanilla couple? Yes. And no, I, and I'll give you the qualifiers. Generally, broadly, yes, they tend to be the same. But I will tell you there's one distinction, and the distinction mm-hmm. is that as a group, the couples that come in that are involved in BDSM, they're better communicators. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they would have to be because that's absolutely part of what that whole world is, is that everything is very negotiated. And every, they, you know how you want to feel. You know what you'd like to experience. Right, and they've trained themselves well, and the other thing our study showed, by the way, is that this group, BDSM practitioners, they're 10 standard deviation points higher on IQ tests. Now, so, so they're have, smart. Right, they're smart, right? So they're mm-hmm. smart and they learn how to communicate. So that is a distinction as a group. So that, and that's what I see in my clinical practice. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to do quite as much work with communication. The, mm-hmm. the issues tend to be around a lot of the other commonalities, though. They tend to be around people wanting connection, people wanting to feel emotionally safe, people, mm-hmm. whatever their needs are. So, you know, people, <laughs> she wants him to take out the doggone trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, 
Um, yes. Yeah. And that makes and and you know what you and I both know in the area of sexuality, in the area of relationships, the smallest behaviors are often the behaviors that say and you know communicate the greatest amount of I love you and I take care of you. You bet. And you know, Lou, you've had some great guests on your show, and maybe you've had uh, Gary Chapman, who wrote no, Five I Love Languages. No, I haven't, but I'll, I'll make a point of that. <laughs> well, he, he, I don't, he's, he wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, and I use it in my work a lot with couples because, to your point of, it is those little tiny things. And one of the things that he's proven in his studies, and that there's really like, this really fun, simple test people can take at the back of the book. Um, mm-hmm. People could order this online and have it tomorrow. But there's five love languages, and it's words of affirmations, it's physical touch, it's gifts, it's acts of service, and it's quality time. And when we speak in a love language that our partner wants to be spoken to, boy, we send off all kinds of little happy chemicals in the brain. No question about that one. Yeah. And then I had a, in my... um, fourth book, The Great Lover Playbook, which is the ideas of what couples have said are, you know, thousands of couples share with me with their best ideas. When you speak of these, you know, the love languages, I remember one gentleman saying to me that when he is, he can be sitting at the dining room table and when his partner walks behind him and squeezes his shoulder, he said, that says a louder I love you than just about anything he could do. (laughs) He said, you know, I, I feel safe, and that that physical touch. Because if we, and w- what we do know, there aren't very many people that are allowed to go into our personal space. Right. Right. And when someone does that in a loving, caring way, hugely powerful. You bet. And if I wrote that book, I would have added a sixth love language, which, which is, is sex. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> right, because if there's a huge difference between physical touch, let's touch, you know, touch me on my shoulder, which is very, very meaningful to some people, and let's have sex, which is very, very meaningful to other people. They are distinctly different. Mm-hmm. Now, when you are, so for the, what, which group would you say has more jealousy issues? Which, which groups of people that you see coming into your office have the greatest groups of jealousy issues? Well, where um, where it comes up the most for me in my work is with polyamorous couples. So polyamory mm-hmm. is, are mm-hmm. multiple sexual intimate relationships. I know you know that, but not everybody in your listening might. So, right. so it's way different than swinging, which would be to have sex with somebody essentially and go home, and that's it. Kind of that, Sex and it's over. But a polyamory mm-hmm. relationship, these are loving, long-term relationships mm-hmm. with multiple people. Right. And the biggest challenge that polyamorous people, I think, face as a group, at least from a clinical perspective, right? So these are only people that are coming in because they're struggling, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only people I see, not the people right. that aren't struggling. <laughs> um, right. And with that group of people, what I see is jealousy is almost always the theme as to what's getting in the way of them getting what they want. And, you know, I remember the first time I heard a presentation on it, it was Nan Weiss. Mm-hmm. And she did a, she herself being a therapist and is in a polyamorous um, relationship, she said that is truly the one thing that they always deal with. Yeah. And here's the thing about polyamory that people may not know is this is not that you have an affair with someone and then you bring them into the relationship. 
Mm-mm. Right. That won't happen. This is truly the negotiated, it's both people know, and then the permission has been granted. Mm-hmm. And, you know. and for our monogamous listeners, the, it, the, I think it's another one of these things where people conjure up an image of what do those people look like. Well, those people are they're mom and pa kettle. They're the mm-hmm. investment banker. They're the you know they're the lawyers, the doctors, the accountants. They look just hey, like you, you know? and me, and they've got these relationships that don't exactly fit in our culture the way most of us were raised. But what they do have is, you know, and as Nan said, here I'm an ex-Jewish girl from New York. What am I doing in this? But it was something that then became something that, you know, for their life. And I, I mention this not to tell people you've got to go out and try this, but to have people be aware that there is a much longer and broader sexual continuum of what works for people than we typically get told. And that's why I like looking at, you know, what's currently in the media, Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I saw um, on um, Psych Central, uh, psychcentral.com, is the questions on should sex addiction be in the DSM-5? No. And you and I both know this is a controversial discussion in our area of sexual health and sexuality education and sexual function. And I'm going to, you know, fall back on a statement. Being on the leadership council at the University of Minnesota for the chair in sexual health, mm-hmm. we had a presentation from the other people in the program at Human Sexuality, and one of the women said, you know, she deals with this area, and I said, okay, tell me, in in an interview, how do you say, or how do you respond to, what is it, sexuality, you know, is it sexual addiction, or is it sexual compulsivity? And her response was, and I thought this was great, it is two different terms for a similar type of behavior, but the issue is how you define what are going to be the solutions for these people. Well, that's interesting. By the way, the University of Minnesota, of course, has got the greatest program going, so I think it's fantastic that you're involved up there. Um, I'll give you a different perspective. My perspective is really simply this, and this is what I do with my couples, which is it's not an addiction. It's not a compulsion. If you really look at the definitions, it doesn't meet any of the criteria, or it doesn't meet all the criteria, I should say. What it is, is it's a problem. Exactly. <laughs> so let's let's just deal with the facts. And the fact is there was an affair, or the fact is the porn is getting in the way of your relationship, or the fact is that you're going to strip clubs, or the fact is you're spending all the family resources on one of these things. Those are uh-huh. facts. Now let's deal with what are the underlying causes. Let's deal with right. rebuilding trust. Let's deal with the relationship. Let's deal with what are you going to do in the future. Exactly. Now, we've got probably 25 seconds until we go to our next break. And that is something that I would like to address when we come back is, what do you do when someone comes in and says, my partner is um, an addict, but they're using it from a media concept or they're thinking and they're just being told this, and the media is doing diagnosing of people that they have no business doing so. Right. (laughs) Might I add, and I could cheerfully take, you know, some people to, to task on it. Um, Here come the tunes. My guest is Neil Cannon, and we'll be right back after this break.
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Multi-ethnic church with Mark DeMoz. Thursday afternoons at 1, noon central, is a show that passionately addresses the question, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, then why on earth is your local church? They call us Yes, increasingly, our diverse population and the diverse families it's producing is reshaping the face of the local church as people are beginning to recognize the power and beauty of walking, working, and worshiping God together with others of different backgrounds. How can your church overcome the obstacles, and why should you even try? Join a live chat with guests from around the country and the world to learn the effectiveness of churches in the 21st century beyond race and class distinction. This show has its pulse on what it will take for the church to find real reconciliation in our generation. So tune in for the Multi-Ethnic Church with Mark DeMoss, Thursday afternoons at 1, noon central, here on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Neil Cannon. And if any of you are listening live, you can call in at 877-864-4869, repeating 877-864-4869. 4869 if you have a question and trust me you can ask anything this is your time to do so because with the broad range of knowledge between myself and my guests you'll be able to get an answer and directed the way you would like so Neil before the break we were speaking of the um, people and saying you know my comment of being at the uh, the leadership council for the chair in sexual health at University of Minnesota, and the answer of, it's the same answer, it's a similar behavior, but with two different, you know, ways of, you know, saying two different words to describe it. And on the break, we started speaking of, you said before we broke, that it's not an addiction, it is not a compulsivity, it doesn't meet the criteria, looking at the facts. And then you said, people don't come into my office saying, and you said... 
Yeah, people don't come into my office and say, look, I, I golf too much, or I masturbate too much, or I look at porn too much. They come in when it's caused a problem in the relationship. That's when I have, I get clients. Mm-hmm. And is it mainly men? Um, when it comes to kind of, quote, you know, the problematic sexual behavior and sex addiction, it, it, it is in the sense of um, with my couples, it generally is the guy that's acting out. And mm-hmm. he's the one generally with problematic behavior. It's sometimes the woman, but it, I, they show up different. With women, it tends to show up um, more with risky sexual behavior. With men, okay. it shows up that way, too. But it tends to um, be more porn and Internet-related kind of stuff as the big bucket that is almost always shows up. Okay, so for the women, the risky sexual behavior might look something like going on Craigslist and just meeting someone? Mm-hmm. That's a great example, going on Craigslist, you know, multiple partners, same day, not safe sex, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, because I do know of uh, other um, peers of mine, uh, Winston Wilde has, you know, was describing and, you know, helping me with some of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a show previously with him. So you've got the couples coming in. What? So what your comment is, you look at, okay, this is what the fact is. This is what's happened. Okay, and what are we going to do about it? What's, mm-hmm. what's okay in your relationship? So when people get married or they get into a relationship, there aren't really vows about, um, I will or will not look at porn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't okay. usually get covered. And so what happens is there's like sometimes there's like this implicit agreement what things will look like or maybe they're, they, they, somehow somebody's acted in a way that generally looks and feels like to the other person that it, it's a trust issue. It's almost an infidelity, even if it's an emotional affair or an affair with, with porn images. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, okay, well, that, that all happened, and it sucked, and I know it hurt, and I know it caused you a lot of pain. Now what are we going to do with it? What's, the, what's your deal, right? What's, what's the line in the sand? What's okay? And then people kind of look at each other like, well, we never really talked about it. <laughs> well, is masturbation okay in your relationship? Well, yeah, that's fine. Is looking at porn okay in your relationship? No, that's not fine anymore. Okay, great. We, now you're starting to form a deal. Mm-hmm. Do you find, just as a question, mm-hmm. that the attention going to something else is the is a crucial issue. Yes, and what happened, it's not just porn. People, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Harville Hendricks is one of, one of the great educators around couples issues and couples counseling. We'll mm-hmm. talk a lot about, he'll use the term exits, which is similar to what the rest of us would call avoidances. And so people in relationships, if they don't want to be sexual, they will find exits, and those exits might look like um, watching TV. They might look like porn. They might look like golfing. They might look like um, too much alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these different ways to exit as a way to avoid being intimate, and intimate could look like sex, but it could also just be close and talking. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I concur completely on that one. And you'll often see men who they don't want to go home, so they'll go to the gym after work. So they get their kudos and they get validated that they're at the gym taking care of their body when in all actuality they just don't want to go home. You bet. And it looks like a healthy exit. Oh, I'm a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's still an exit. So as a couples counselor, I look at it and say, you know, I don't really care if you went to the gym or you looked at porn. To me, it's all the same. It's an exit. So mm-hmm. I get the supercharged issue around the porn, 
and it feels uh-huh. like cheating, and it feels like, oh, my God, he did these horrible things to me. Okay, so let's deal with that, and we need to rebuild trust and help, help her heal. But at the end of the right. day, they're, they're exits, and they're all equal exits, and they all can cause the same amount of harm. When you are, oh, you know what we did not do? Is what? do a definition of the certain BDSM behaviors for people, a definition oh, of it. Sure. So, I mean, when we, you know, I said at the beginning, I said, um, you know, people get kind of this idea of BDSM being really extreme, and sometimes it is. Other times, it's just adult role play. It's uh-huh. fantasy. It's master slave. It's I'm the boss and you're not. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I'm the teacher, you're the student. I'm the patient and you're the doctor, right? Uh-huh. It's just adult role play that can be really elaborate or it can be pretty simple. Um, hey, you know, yeah. just to give people an idea, if they really want to see what most people's BDSM role play would be, pay attention on Halloween. You bet. The ultimate adult holiday. <laughs> then you see who wants to have this look or that look or behave this way. That is when people actually have permission to do their role play. I love your word permission, and it's so true. It's the one day. It's the mm-hmm. one day we get to dress up and be a little kooky. <laughs> Unless you have friends. And, hey, I live in Los Angeles, so i got to tell you, the gay pride parade here, Pardon me, the gate, you know, the parade through West Hollywood on Halloween is, it is a visual feast. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> By Halloween so cool. here, we're kind of starting to shut down on our skimpy outfits. It gets a little chilly, but uh, I get, oh, the, I get the image. That's true. Now, so you're saying that the role play can be adult role play. Sure, and it can be, it can be kind of, it can be simple. It can just really be as simple as a 30-minute Bondage role play, pirate and matey, <laughs> mm-hmm. or it can or it can take on these really really elaborate intense fantasies with a lot of scripting and and bondage um, and uh, master slave contracts. Right, there can be lots of elements to it, so it can be as creative as people want it to be. And I'll just throw this out too: if you think about it, and you go back to the study we did that talked about intelligence. Mm-hmm. Think about the intelligence it takes to have intercourse. And now think about the intelligence it takes to write an elaborate script for a, for a fantasy adult role play. Well, I, I do know that having had clients approach me, myself being a sex educator, I'm not a therapist, but she wanted guidance on how to create a um, pro-dom persona for her partner and so that was the thing that had me you know have to get myself more up to speed on things and it was very very structured for her yeah and some people it works to be really structured other people need to be more fluid i've had because i do i do training and education also for my couples and so for some people we have them start with one just one item. Pick out one sex play that represents something that feels dominant or submissive to you, and then that's what we have them play with that night, right? So it doesn't need to be really elaborate. It can be as simple as you want to make it. 
such as, okay, so let's say someone would like to try this and they want to do it, you know, within their relationship, within the privacy of their own home, how might they be able to do it? Should they have the conversation? I often tell people, have the conversation about things when you're vertical, not when you're horizontal. <laughs> That's a great way to say it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and, so while they're vertical... get your brain involved. Yeah, yeah. Get the little head involved in this, or the big head, yeah, the, little, the big head involved in this, and figure out, um, you know, what I would have couples do, I might have them make a list of six toys that they were each interested in and then compare notes and then take in each circle the top two and look for overlap and then take those you know two three toys and that's what you're going to play with the first night and you're going to talk about it and you're going to create um a safe word and the safe word might be you're going to have it could be a a really simple would be red means stop it's over we're going to just stop the scene right now yellow Uh would be um hey let's slow down and talk here and then, you know, green means it's all good. Your safe word can never be no. <laughs> That's <Correct. terrible. laughs> Exactly. That's the thing, because many people, when it gets, you know, to the, the excitement of things, they're going, no, 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 no. And that, they're saying no, but it isn't, it's part of the play of saying no. Now, right. we have two minutes until we head into our, you know, our final break. Now, so someone... Is at home. Let's say they don't play with toys. Then what else could they do? Could they tell someone, you have to sit there and you have to serve me? You have to serve me wine? Sure. That would be a really nice master-slave role play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we'd want to do is have them, again, while they're vertical, create, well, what are the rules around that? It's okay to say, serve me wine, but it's not okay to say, get down and give me oral sex. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what their rules are, but those would be the kind of things you want to help them flush out. Right. And here's one thing I, I think... Oftentimes people are, may not be aware of that many times role play is not necessarily going to end in intercourse or end in sex or end in an orgasm. Right. And we as a culture are so focused on performance and orgasm as the end of sex. Which is why my book, The Big O, was written, because people said, are mine okay? Is it happening? And I'm like, did you enjoy yourself? (laughs) You know, I have probably the largest lending library of of sexuality books in Colorado, and every single one of your books is right in my office right now. I'm looking at my library, and, you know, your books are (laughs) well represented here. They're great. Well, thank you, my dear. Thank you. I'm actually going to be working on um, some new stuff soon, and I have my... um, my sex quiz with Lou. We have 15 seconds till our next break. When we come back, uh, Dr. Neil Cannon and I will be talking about who have been his toughest clients, what the possible solutions are, and anything else that happens to come up for either of us. Here come the tunes. Please stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand comes Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on TogiNet.com. Linda Link is 
Lindell's first and only internet radio broadcast. Holly, tell us about it. It's really something from my heart that I want to be teamwork um, for the entire community to get the word out about everything that's going on here. We're talking to the entire community of Lindell. This is not limited to just businesses or just parents or just teachers. Simply to get the word out about your cause or your company, you must go to where the people are. And today, people are on the internet. Lindale Link. Lindale, Texas is a growing chain of business, education, commerce, community. Together, Lindale Link can create one strong chain of communication. Check out LindaleLink.com and then check out Lindale Link, the radio show. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand. Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend at Principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, Girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. This week, my guest is Dr. Neil Cannon. He is a doctorate in human sexuality, a master's in public health, has a private practice in Colorado. And now, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, Neil? Is it neil at drcannon.com? That's my email address, and my website's just really easy. It's drcannon.com, and doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R, Cannon, C-A-N-N-O-N.com. Okay. Um, before we went on the break, we were speaking of, you know, the different things that people could do, you know, like come serve me wine or if they were doing role play. And one of the things that I, I always like people to know is that you don't have to start with something big if you want to explore something. Do only what you are most comfortable with. Because this is, anytime you do anything in the area of sexuality, it truly is like learning a new language. Nicely said. And I think what happens is, I think that what I see a lot is the people, there's always a dynamic in the relationship where one person's a little more into it than the other, right? And so the mm-hmm. person, and sometimes one person's into it a whole bunch, it's part of their sexual template, and it's, and it's not for the other person. The other person's trying to, trying to figure it out. So what happens is sometimes the people that are really into it, they go a little too fast for the people that are still trying to learn about it and catch up. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes going a little slower is going a little faster. Well, also, and what it does is it doesn't have the other person feeling like they're getting yanked out of their shoes. 
You got. <laughs> they're, they're sort of like walking step and step, and it feels more shared, mm-hmm. and it feels more partnered. And you know what? You and I both know this you know, extends to the area of sexuality and sex play, but it also goes the same way if someone's into a sport and says, well, you've got to learn because I love it. Well, no, I don't. Or someone says, you know, well, I'm really into cooking, you know, Italian food. You must come to this class with me. Well, that's true. And one of the differences, though, when it comes to sex is that we, many people have signed up for monogamous relationships. So if they're going to have sexual behavior and they're going to stay monogamous, they need to figure out and negotiate a way to do it with each other. And that's where it gets a little tricky. Uh, that I would agree with you. Um, yeah, but what, what I try to get my couples, the way I like my couples to think about it is, so I'm, I'm a sex therapist, right? all my academic work's in sex, but I'm a couples counselor, all my clinical background is in, in couples. Mm-hmm. And so the way I like couples to think about it is, is it about dignity or preference? So if it's, if one partner wants to do a sexual behavior that, and the other person's not so sure, if it, I challenge the other person to think about it. Well, look at if this is a violation of your dignity, then we don't want you doing that. We need to stop and step back and find things that you are okay with, and we maybe we need to explore about why it's a violation of your dignity and what's going on. But if it's about preference, it's just like, well, I could take it or leave it. Then, hey, you're in a monogamous relationship. You got to help each other figure out how to get your needs fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And. One of the things that I know for people who are in, you know, what they would refer to more as the kink world, what they have, one of the things that is, you know, people have said one of their biggest turn-ons, it may not be what they may like to be doing, but knowing that they can create that amount of pleasure for their partner is their turn-on. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we talked about the love language as well. When one person is kinky and the other person isn't, but that other person steps up and helps fulfill those needs. Uh, mm-hmm. When you listen to a couple and they talk about how loved that makes them feel, oh, it's magical. But, you know, isn't that called getting the attention and the acceptance of being loved for absolutely who you are? And, as you and I both know, at the most primally um, vulnerable level. It's nothing, nothing more vulnerable than sex, right, and intimacy. Which is often why people will not tell someone what their fantasies are, or mm. they won't want to self-pleasure in front of someone, that, because it is that vulnerable. I mean, and if people want to do that, what I suggest to them is, if you're going to do that in front of a partner, do when the lights are really low the first time, so it feels like you can be a little more private, or... Do it when, you know, the, and the, so the person's off to the side so they can watch. Because sometimes men will say, well, I'd love to have her do this. But women are more like, no, nah, I think I'd rather, you know, this is very, you know, this is a very, very private, you know, um, exhibit of who they are. For some of my couples, masturbation together, mutual masturbation is just a standard course of business. And for others, mm-hmm. it's something that they would... Oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. You want me to do what with him in the room? <laughs> exactly. So, so sometimes we even go so far, with, if it turns out that that's an important part of their therapy together, and sometimes it is, then sometimes we'll go so far as to have them start out with blindfolds on so that they can't even see each other, and, then, and sometimes that they're not even touching, or sometimes that they're, they are laying, touching each other, but blindfolds on. Mm-hmm. So we always figure out a way to meet people where they are and bring them along at the pace they want to go at. 
or or they're willing to go at. Really, you know, and and to have them make sure they each have their voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you know, now one of the other things I was online today, and I went on to a website called ScienceDaily.com, and now and when I looked at the one of the things is that sleep loss dramatically lowers testosterone in healthy young men. And what they did is they looked at it, and it was a, it's JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, June 1st edition. And what they did is they had healthy young male university students, and they put them into a sleep lab. They studied them for two nights, then you know, with lots of eight to ten hours of sleep. Then they had them have only five hours of sleep a night. And within one week, they had their testosterone levels had dropped ten to fifteen percent. Now, for that, the study found that skipping sleep reduces a young man's testosterone levels by the same amount as aging. 10 to 15 years. Mm, a remarkable study. Yeah, and what this, the other thing that it makes a comment on is that there's 15% of the adult working population in the U.S. gets less than five hours of sleep a night. Oh, it's startling. Well, and then the other thing that comes up for me as you talk about that is testosterone is an important part of women's sexuality, too. And I wonder what the studies would look like if we did the same study on college, healthy young college women. And then what Mm -hmm. role would that play in their sexuality? Well, and given that, you know, they've got the sleep deprivation, then we have what we know is, you know, the study buddies, the um, the Adderall, the Ritalin, whatever it is they might be using. Mm -hmm. These things are causing an impact on a population in a way that we don't even have the, we don't, we have no studies on it, but we do see it for people coming to, you know, to see you or I'm hearing it anecdotally from people. And it is something that people have got to be aware of. The meds that they are taking are creating so many problems for them, for their sexual function and ergo for their relationship function. It's one of my first checklists when I'm working with couples or individuals as well. What what meds are on? In fact, you can't get <laughs> you can't actually get into my office until you filled out the sheet that shows me their list of meds because it has an enormous impact on our sexuality and our and our relationships. Hey, and our you know I you know for women and for men. And one of the first questions I ask women is, what kind of birth control might you be on? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I've said this before, but I had a young woman who was uh, just graduated, a recent med school grad, newly minted MD, and I'm doing a presentation, and she said to a, you know, group of, you know, doctors, and she said, what can I do? I just got engaged, and I have absolutely no libido. I don't know what is going on. And I asked her, I said, what meds are you on? Now, this is a med student who just graduated, who should have the most current and up-to-date information, and she didn't have any information on how this stuff, and it was an antidepressant that she was on, that was causing the problems for her. Well, it's a that what you're describing is an enormous problem, and what happens is, you know, God love our medical doctors, and this is not a slam on on them at all. And what happens is, there our culture, the way our medical system works today, they are so focused on handling the presenting problem, right? Whatever mm-hmm. it is, 
blood pressure or depression, take your pick. And they prescribe for that. And by the way, in our culture of, hey, I've seen an ad for whatever the medicine is on TV, and so now I go to my doctor, and I want my doctor to give me a prescription. Hey, you know, listen, they were no idiots when they came to know how to do the marketing, which was to tell the people they needed it and then sent them where they should go get it. Yeah, and it puts our doctors in a really tough little spot because at the end of the day, these are their, their customers. Mm-hmm. And if the patient comes in and says, I want this, the doctor feels a pressure, Right, and that. Says, well, then, you know. Now, we have two minutes until our close. Okay. Can you choose, because I'd asked you this before, who were and have been your toughest clients and what were the possible solutions for them? Mm, I think the toughest clients, well, first off, I have this belief, and this is what when I'm teaching young therapists and upcoming therapists, I have this belief that there's really, there's no bad clients, there's just impatient therapists. Okay. (laughs) People will go at their pace. So I think that the principle for me that makes clients tough tends to be people that just aren't ready to change. And there's a stage as a change model. People can Google it, and you can look and see where you are in your own process. Stages of change? Stages of change. And until we're at this place where we're ready to actually change, it makes therapy go really slow. Okay. Um, or it can be that someone doesn't want to change, but the other person wants them to. You bet. And, and that's, so, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so now we have one more minute okay. until our show ends. Is there anything else you would like to share with the audience? Well, one thing you had asked me, and I'll just give you this real quick. You had um, asked me off air about people, about opportunities going forward for people that are studying sexuality and and becoming sex therapists. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, there's a couple really good areas. I think um, working with the aging population is going to be tremendous. Tremendous demand for that. I work with couples all the way up into their 80s. Um, People with disabilities are really important in women's sexual health. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Tonight, my guest has been Dr. Neil Cannon. You can reach him at neil at drcannon.com, all spelled out. Thank you for being with us and look forward to having you with us next week. Bye for now. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget.